do that. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good to us. We know that your word, um, well, some of us know that your word um, will never fail. It always perseveres and accomplishes its purposes. And though we fail, though we die, though we hurt, um, though we are finite, your word infinitely speaks and is relevant, is is authoritative, is sufficient, uh, even to us today, to teach us. And so we pray, Spirit, that you teach us. Uh, some of us um, are hurting. Some of us are um, very um, confused about what this Christianity is. And so we pray that as we bring our questions, our doubts, and, and our fears towards you, that you would um, meet us there. Pray also for those of us who are very uh, passionate about this, um, that you'd speak to us there. For the skeptics, the doubters, we pray that you'd speak to all of us um, and encourage us today. And we'll give you glory. Christ, let me pray. Amen. My name is Justin Westmoreland, campus minister for OURUS. My fourth year here. I'm glad you're here. If it's your first time, last time, hope it's not your last time to come to OURUS. This is our last one of the semester. Um, with that in mind, I didn't mention this earlier, but if you don't, if you're here and you don't have a place to uh, to go eat Thanksgiving dinner, uh, my wife is cooking. She's an awesome cook. Meredith, wave your hand. So uh, we're, we'd love to have you come over and join us for Thanksgiving dinner. So talk to me afterwards. Uh, we'd be glad to do that. If you have a question tonight, um, John Baber has his number up here, 205-601-4654. You can text it to me, and I will address it uh, as we get going tonight. So, so as, every week, you know, as we're looking at this, the death of Christ, we look at a little bit every week. We looked at the things he said on the cross, the things that, that he did at the cross, the things that happened there, the events, the earthquake, the darkness, the, the people coming out of their tombs when Jesus was, was dying. Uh, we looked at uh, people reacting to it. Uh, we saw... A centurion, one of the guys who crucified Jesus, who, who appeared to have faith in him. We've seen all manner of things here. And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm asking the Lord, I'm saying, look, Jesus, you know, what, what do you have to say to me in this? And ironically, he has nothing to say to me in this. He had nothing to say in this text. He wasn't the one talking. He was dead. Nothing's happening with Jesus. All that's happening here is people are going after his body. Uh, there's two parties uh, who would who'd want his body after this. And so as, as Jesus has nothing to say to me, he actually says something to me. Uh, and he, he says that, look, what I did was for you. Uh, all this was for you. It was to change you. It was to transform you. It was to save you. Uh, and, 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 and we look at two men in particular who were changed. And I think I, what we need to get there is, is to see we can all be changed by this, by what he did. And we'll all sort of become the kind of people who are able to do these sort of things. 
So let me just uh, set the scene for you, and we'll get into it. Uh, last week, Jesus, Jesus was actually confirmed dead on the cross. They did that by, by piercing his side with a spear, and blood and water ran out. They'd have to break his legs because he's already dead. Uh, what they did usually was they let, like when you're crucified, you're a bad guy. And so in order to make the point that you're a really bad guy, it was a really bad deal to be left out, unburied, and uh, have vultures come and get you, or dogs come and get you and eat you up. And that's what would typically happen with someone who was crucified. But because of the religious ordinances of the day, it was this Jewish uh, province here, this is Jerusalem. Well, what would happen is if it's Friday, then the Sabbath is the next day, and so they would take the person down. It's very important not to desecrate the land by leaving this uncovered dead man on a cross to desecrate the land. So they broke the legs of the other two and confirmed Jesus was dead. So he's confirmed dead, and they're going to take him down. So Jesus has been crucified on a Roman cross at the hands of a governor named Pontius Pilate, but really it was the religious opponents of Jesus who orchestrated this, and that was uh, those, the Jewish folks, uh, the Pharisees. And two of those guys, one, actually Nicodemus is one of those guys. Um, Joseph of Arimathea is on the Sanhedrin. He's one of the ruling uh, officers here uh, of the Jews. And so he, these are big deal guys. Jesus had largely been abandoned by those who feared suffering, or even losing their own lives. All of his friends have sort of disappeared. John's around. He's taking notes. He's the one who wrote this. But most, for the most part, all of his followers have left him. And so Jesus, again, has nothing left to say. His body lies there, no breath. In the next hour, there's going to be this power struggle over his body in two groups of different motives. So the two groups. First, the Jewish leaders. They're going to gather and they're going to try to acquire his body and they're, what they're going to do with it is, you know, if you were an honorable person, you'd be buried with your family. But if you're a dishonorable person like this Jesus, who actually committed no crime, he just said, I'm the king, I'm God, uh, I'm the king of Israel, these sort of things. He made these claims, and so they, they crucified him on the basis of theology. Well, he didn't commit a crime, but he was, he was numbered with the malefactors. He's numbered with all the criminals. And so the criminals that are so bad, they couldn't place you in a family tomb, so it would take you outside of the city to a special mass grave for the bad guys. That's what they want to do. And they want to take him and put him in one of these big graves uh, where he's just an anonymous person so he wouldn't desecrate anybody else's tomb. That's what they're going to do. They want to put Jesus there. They want to keep their religious cleanliness by doing that. They'd already killed Jesus, but they want to make sure that he didn't stink up their legacy or hurt them, that hurt them when they're standing with, the, with, with God. And so they didn't want to be sullied by him, their enemy. Okay, well, there's another group. The other party, of course, made up by those two individuals we read about, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Uh, only two people in that party. Um, two of Jesus' followers, it says that he's, uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus in verse 38. Uh, and then Nicodemus, uh, if you've read this book before, John 3, talks about how Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and wanted to know about the kingdom of God and, and how he became a Christian. And Jesus told him, you've got to be born again. And he, he didn't really understand that. Apparently now he understands that. He wants to come and honor Jesus. So these two, uh, these two men that Jesus loved well, Jesus has been patient with them. They'd seen that Jesus was powerful. He was from God. They'd never known anybody like this man. Nobody. No one who was as honest as he was. No one who was as genuine. No one who was as loving. No one who was as kind, focused, humble. He was basically the greatest person who has ever lived. And they loved him. And now he was dead. And what do we do with people we love when they die? 
It's a very normal story. They want to honor him. They want to care for him. And so as far as they knew, Jesus, the man they love, their friend, is dead. So Joseph, Nicodemus, members of the Sanhedrin, they're pretty powerful there. And so they make a quick beeline to Pilate, the governor, and negotiate to take Jesus' body before the other guys can get there. And they're going to bury him in a different way, in a nice tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had purchased uh, in this garden close to the cross. And so Nicodemus brings the wrappings and the spices, 75 pounds of it. That's a lot of spice. Uh, and, and they're going to, well, the reason for that is so it could delay the stinking process. Uh, they want to delay the putrefaction of Jesus' body. So Joseph uses the power to gain access. Nicodemus uses his resources to bring the stuff. And they, and they wrap Jesus up and put him in a tomb. A good tomb. A tomb no one had ever been in before. Jesus had it to himself. And they roll a stone. I have, I have a stone rolled in front of it. And this is the end of Jesus. Jesus is there in a dark tomb, alone, not breathing. His body's dead. That's the end. And there's Jesus there. He's, he's, he, they loved him. They wouldn't honor him. But you couldn't be on the fence about him. These other people hated him. The haters seemingly, seemingly had won earlier in the day when they, when they convicted him of death on the cross, and he died. But now the fallout. The majority pl- group, again, planned to dump him in a mass grave. The minority group sort of won out here and put him in an honorable grave. And Jesus, of course, meant a lot to them. They, they really had to sort of, I think, cash in all their chips here. I mean, like, those of you who have, have you know, I don't know if anyone had to like, write a recommendation for you either to get into OU or to uh, get into a sorority or fraternity, but those are big deals. You know, like people have to like put their name on you and say, I'm going to stand up for this person and I'm going to support them. You know, maybe your GPA wasn't all that and someone had to, to stand up for you and say, you should really, OU, you should really let this person in. Well, they're going to they're cash in a lot of professional chips here. They're going to take a lot of hits to their colleagues. They're probably not going to get Christmas cards or that's, a, that's an acronym, isn't it? Christmas cards in the first century, or first century here. Um, Thanksgiving turkey with them, for instance. They're not going to get invited to the parties with all their friends because they're kind of going underneath their friends and around them and messing them up here. But they love Jesus and they want to do that. So that's essentially what's happening in 38 through 40. But 41 tells us the location of the tomb. Now think plantations, think orchards. Uh, this, is, this is, you know, right near the cross is this orchard or garden place. In fact, once Jesus is resurrected at the end of the story, spoiler alert, Jesus res- was resurrected. Okay, you haven't read that part yet. We didn't get to it tonight, but he is, he is resurrected. So when he's resurrected, he's, he's mistaken for the gardener. He's definitely in a garden here. There's a, there's a tomb in the garden, and it's, it's a virgin grave, which is interesting enough of itself. No one's in there yet. Um, his mom was a virgin, so here he is in a, a virgin grave, okay? So how about that? Um, and so virgin grave, nasty cross, Beautiful garden, a millennium, millenniums before, God spoke to that first man he created, Adam, and he said, man, Adam, if you, you, all, this, all this I'm giving to you, everything here in this garden, you can eat of any tree in this garden except that one tree. And if you eat of that tree, you're going to surely die. And not just you, but your whole generation, anyone after you will die. And that happened. Okay, the man ate the forbidden fruit, death spread to the universe, to all of creation, all men, women born after him, and I could have dropped dead today as I'm 
Think about this sermon. I could drop dead right now. I am liable to death. I am cursed. My clock is ticking, as is yours. We went from being immortal, perfect, without sin, and the first people, to being subject to death, disease, and sin thereafter. And here we are in a garden again. Jesus is in a garden. Death came out of that first garden from a man eating. And the parallelism is, is, is amazing, y'all. It's re- like death is reversed here. Death is killed in a garden in the Middle East. Death is overcome through a man laid in a tomb in a garden, and he's going to walk out of that tomb in a couple days. Okay, and that's amazing. Now, there's, I don't know if y'all have ever watched the show King of the Hill, but there's a, there's a, the main character is Hank Hill, and he's a grumpy old Texan. And, and, he, you know, and Bobby, his son, is, is one day he's bored in church. And he's like, I mean, can we get out of here already? And so Hank Hill looks at him, and he's like, he nudges him. He says, Bobby, if the greatest story ever told doesn't have enough twists and turns for you, I don't know what's wrong with you. And he's, like, this, he's talking about Jesus, of course. The greatest story ever told. And it does have a lot of twists and turns, namely that the main character is dead in a tomb, and he's resurrected on the third day. That, that the whole mess started in a garden, and here it's corrected in a garden. It started with a man, and here it's corrected with a man. God who took on flesh to serve us. I'm not, I'm not a really good golfer, but I enjoy it. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all play golf, but I don't know what your handicap is, but my handicap is probably caddy. Uh, like, I'm good enough to, to carry the clubs for somebody else. Um, you know, like, when you, when you, I don't know if you know about caddying, but, you know, if you're a caddy in a real tournament, you go and you put on a white suit, this white jumpsuit, and you carry the clubs, and you're that guy. Now, you could be anything in the world, but when you put on the caddy clothes, you're a caddy. You haven't become less than what you are, but you are, you're functioning as a caddy that day. And so what you do, your job is to simply carry the clubs for Roy, Roy McElroy, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, whoever you want to talk about, Phil Mickelson. Um, you're, you're a servant. And here we have Jesus, who in the first chapter of the story, uh, the first chapter of the conclusion of the story, was a baby swaddled in cloths in a manger. And here he is, a grown man, swaddled in cloths again. He's, he's taken and he's, he's lifted up by these two men. They've put cloths on him, they've put spices on him, they've laid him in a tomb. The chapter ends 30 some odd years later. Uh, where it began with the main guy being wrapped in cloths. The death of Jesus. And it's beautiful. God planned it that way. The ordinariness of it, the extraordinary stuff of it, the harmony of it all, it all came together. And whereas the first man brought death to all mankind in the garden, the last man, the second man here, Jesus, on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, killed death for all people, all who believe it. In the tomb... Jesus entered, it was going to be a sanctified place for all of us, that no one who believes in him would ever have to fear dying. That we could all go to where the thief on the cross was promised. And the second thing Jesus said, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. All, the, all of you who believe in him will be in paradise. And not just then, in the, when you die, but, but now. You can live now. You can really live. Um, you know, death and sin doesn't have to bind you anymore. His death started putting to death death. And it, and it did it so in these guys. Like I talked about, Nicodemus, 
and Joseph of Arimathea started to do things that were extraordinary. Peter started to do things that were extraordinary. All the people who saw Jesus started to do things that were extraordinary. Well, Jesus did this. Uh, where death had nothing on him, death couldn't stop him. Um, he went through death. Why did it do that? Well, because he, uh, people think it's because he was so holy. Death couldn't stop him because of his holiness. It had no, nothing for him because he was the only person who's ever died sinless. And that's extraordinarily important for you and me. Because we, when we go to death, death stings for us because we deserve it. We absolutely deserve death. We deserve judgment. And we deserve a cross. But Jesus went through that for us. And he died for us. And, and he really took on our sin. Though he wasn't a sinner like us. He took it all on him. If we're in him. And he triumphed through the grave because he lived that life we couldn't live. He, he, because of his sheer sinlessness, death has no hold over anyone who Jesus goes to death for. And as one man said, he said, man is made for God and God is life. Therefore, death is unnatural. We are made for God. We're made for life. And so the, the, this is all part of God's plan. So um, the, the first church fathers who were hearing this in the second and third century, you know, made some great analogies about this. They said that, that the deity of Christ was like a fish hook. Now, I don't know if you, anyone, anyone been fishing, okay? Probably everyone's been fishing, maybe. Uh, the, de- the deity of Christ was like a fish hook. And the humanity of Christ is like the bait. So Satan takes the bait and was caught and destroyed just like a largemouth bass would be, okay? Now, now, you know, in a fishing battle, you know, Moby Dick, bass fishing, okay, I don't know how Moby Dick actually goes, but uh, some of you have read that. Um, yeah, it appears the fish wins, okay, because the fish takes your lure, it's consumed by the big bass, it's in the mouth, and then it, he drives that, that deep down in the, in the sea, and just as it appears all is lost, wickedness is going to win, you're going to lose your bait, the rod bends, the hook is set, and the third day comes. Resurrection happens. The forces of evil are reeled in and destroyed. The nadir, the bottom of the death story, is right here. Jesus really is dead and buried. But in God's big story, the mission of redeeming and restoring and, res- and rescuing his creation, it's beginning. It began there. And so the, the greatest story ever told, as Hank, Hank Hill calls it, is that life came out of a tomb of all places, the most unlikely place. Your life, my life, it all came there. And we experience it maybe sometimes through a lot of heartache. Uh, sometimes we, we, we see it, you know, when, 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 we, when we're at the, behind the barrel of a gun, when we're harming ourselves. When, 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 you know, we all have a story, and we, we're going to find God maybe there. Maybe it's all night spending time reading his word looking for him. Where do you find him? In the word of God, in your experiences, in, in this world? We've all got a story, though, and people are reading us. You know, your roommate's reading you. Your family's looking at you. Your professors are looking at you. Your bosses are going to be looking at you. Your exes, your currents, not your exes, but your currents. Um, your Instagram followers, um, we're always being read and evaluated. And so the question for us is, what is your story saying? And have you met Jesus? Have you met the one who killed death? And is that for you? And how do you, how do you know if you've done that? Or how, have you, how do you know if you've met him? Um, 
is that you, I'm going to say that there's one really good way to know if you've met him, and it's that you give with no hope of return. You give with no hope of return. Uh, we all sort of have a, a tomb that we've got to go to or, or kinds of deaths that we're going to have to die, you know, and our life sort of slips away every day, every second, like we've said, but, and, we, and we're going to make choices where we're going to have to decide to die, decide to die in some way, and you've got to decide to be sort of like the majority party in this or the minority party in this story. Um, You've got to decide to, to sort of, there's a couple of ways we could go here. Um, I'm going to say that there's three tombs you can go. One, you can go to the good guy tomb. Okay, the good guy tomb. This is where the majority party wanted to be. Uh, they're going to put to death anything that's going to, uh, to sort of um, sully their reputation. And, and they're, they're going to be, as just, you know, they've got, to, they've got to deal with their mess in being the most moral, respectable people. In the, in, the, in the community, they've got to put fences up in their lives and rules so that they can look good. And if that's you, then you're no different than the religious folks who hated Jesus. You do the right things, but you do them for you alone. You live in the good tomb, and it's still a tomb, and we still die. We can't work our way to, to heaven by righteousness. The, the chief symbol of Christianity is not a ladder where we climb our way up and we work our way up in righteousness. The chief is a cross. You decide to be like, you know, that guy, the majority party who's going to die by putting up fences to make yourself better. Um, You'll die to fit in. Secondly, you're going to decide to be like the criminals crucified next to Jesus. You know, you're not going to conform to the norms of of the society. You take glee out of doing the wrong things, shocking your parents, you always got to be a, a contrarian. It's all about you trying to set yourself apart. And if it is about you, then, then you're not going to make the hard choices of giving without seeking a return. It's all about you still. It's all about you. The, the first, the majority party could not give without seeking return, and neither can we. Um, we're going to end up thrown in an unmarked mass grave because we're so agenda-driven. We've got, to, we've got to meet our own needs to fit in or to not fit in. Uh, our passionate pursuits of causes is not enough to save us. Um, so, so one, we can either be about our own holiness, good guys, or we can be this, this cause. We're going to shock everyone. Uh, we're going to end up in one or two tombs. But then there's a third tomb, the final tomb, the tomb of life. And only one person's ever gone there. It's Jesus. If he's your life, You've let yourself or your cause be the main thing, and you've sinned, and you've got to be like, I've got to find myself in somebody else. I've got to escape this life because I can't do it on my own. Uh, Tommy told us he couldn't do it on his own. You've told, maybe you've told yourself, I can't do this on my own. I can't escape. I've got to have somebody to do it for me, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes to the very place we can't go. He goes to death for us, and he brings us out of it. And if you've done that, you've seen Jesus to be wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. And, and, and he, he died for a purpose. It wasn't just a, a random death. He died to embrace his people. And, and that's somebody I want to embrace. I want to be with that person. And if that means I've got to run into a, a, up a stairway of a burning tower to find him, I'll do that. If it means watching my parents' marriage crumble in order to make me no, Jesus, I'll do that. 
I'd go through it again. If it means finding Jesus uh, by being decimated by someone cheating on you, that's worth it. Breaking up with you. Uh, going to jail because you got a DUI. In order to find Jesus there, that's worth it. And what, what, all these things, Jesus is worth going through this stuff or hearing no's, hearing rejections, because you've got to find Jesus. Jesus has to be found. And he's better than any yes you could hear. His yes is better than any yes you could hear. It absolutely is. And, if it's, and it's hurting and staying up all night and reading the Bible to find Jesus. That's where you need to be. If you've heard his yes, you've followed him, you'll follow him into any substantial losses if necessary because that's exactly what Nicodemus did. That's exactly what Joseph of Arimathea did. They knew they were going to take a loss here, and they're going to do it because they knew Jesus was so wonderful to them. Honoring Jesus' body did not help them. It, only, it was only going to hurt them. But it was the right thing to do, the decent, the honorable thing to do. And so they marched into Pilate's office and cashed in their chips. They went all in. The question for myself, the question for you, is have you met the Jesus who makes you go all in? Or is it just sort of a, a cultural Jesus you've maybe heard of that hasn't touched your heart, but you haven't really met that Jesus and heard from him? And so some of you feel like you can't be honest with your sorority sisters, fraternity brothers, your roommates, your friends, whoever it is, but, you know, because they don't, they don't need to know all the crud about you. Um, they can't know the crud about you, but Jesus knows the crud about you, the stuff you can't show anybody, and he still pursues you. He loves you, though, through all the, he loves you, though, you don't deserve it, because everything about you screams, I need to be in that tomb as well, uh, but Jesus says, I'm going to the tomb for you. All the sins you've committed, all the, all the treasons against him, all the paradox, all the rebellion, God could have judged it, but Jesus laid down his life for that. And so whosoever believes in him is not going to be condemned, but can have eternal life, everlasting life. And so when you read that story, and that becomes your story, you've seen somebody who's tasted death for you, and then you can start to taste life. Your story is that you follow Jesus. And so your readers are going to identify with you through your giving without returns. You're giving, being willing to give to them without returns. What tombs are you willing to die in? What tombs are you willing to take on in order to show Jesus and to meet Jesus? Because that's where we die. Like, the, the Jesus' very fundamental thing is like he says, look, you're going to have to take up crosses for me. You're going to have to come and follow me. And taking up crosses means taking on deaths. Where's your tomb? Is it with the good people, with the bad people, outside the city or in the new tomb? the tomb of life. Um, the Bible, is, I'll close with this, the Bible calls us a kingdom of priests. And what in the heck is that? A kingdom of priests. A priest brings somebody to God. A priest serves. I would like to change that to a kingdom of caddies. Okay? That's something more we can more identify with. We exist to serve. Our very Lord and Savior was nothing less than a caddy. He was a priest. Uh, Jesus was a priest, if there ever was a priest. He's a caddy who carries us to new life. He's about us. He says, okay, you're going to be laid in a manger. God, God says, Jesus, you're going to be laid in a manger. You're going to die and be left, left in a tomb in darkness. You're going to be crucified, and it's not about you. And Jesus says, I don't care. 
It's about them. Jesus is about you. He's about Justin Westmoreland. He knew us before we ever existed. And so he, Jesus drives his Lexus into, into uh, you know, as if he drove a Lexus. Uh, he takes off his suit. He puts on the caddy clothes, and he leads us through. He hands us the club so we can hit the straight shot. He's still who he is. He's still Jesus, God, but he puts on flesh, body and soul, just like us, to serve us because we couldn't do it on our own. He has to lead us to the kingdom. And uh, Joseph Arimathea, it says, had become about this kingdom. And when you become about that kingdom, wow, what, what God could do through you and in you and for you and, and, all, and all the things on, that, that happened to us at OU in this amazing time in our lives where we can, where we can be such influential people. Um, some of you who don't even know Jesus are going to bring people to Jesus. Uh, you're going to be the people who are going to see Jesus, just like Nicodemus and Joseph and Thea, and you're going to bring your friends to Jesus because he is wonderful, and you're going to see it. And, and that people might call you a fanatic or somebody who's strange or, 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 or even to, or take advantage of your kindness because you're a Christian. That's not going to matter because you give without returns because you're a caddy, a kingdom of caddies. Let's, let's pray and we'll end it. Father, it's been a good semester. Uh, it's been a good time to be able to, to see the death of death die. Uh, you're, through your dying, uh, that you put death to death in Jesus. And so as we, as we look back at this story, as we hear the things you said and see the death you died uh, and see the resurrection that was brought about by your spirit, would, would our hearts be lifted up? And would we see the glory of your son, Jesus, and would we love him and serve him, and would we, we love one another well? Uh, as, as we seek to apply these things to uh, the friends we love and, and even our own hearts, would we find that you love us, the love that never lets us go, um, with a love that, that always perseveres, that always pursues us, and that there's no other would you convince us of the truth there's no other way to you except um, through your son, Look, convince us that we're not good enough and that we can't be good enough, uh, but then we, we can't impress you. You're already satisfied with us through the Son, through Jesus. And so help us to believe these things and, and that we glory in your death and, and love it. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.